Well, hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the TAO Intentions Podcast. Today, we are going to cover Canadian Black history. With the month of February being Black History Month, I decided to dedicate a podcast episode to celebrating Canadian Black history. Now, when I say Canadian Black history, I mean that this episode is going to be focused on black women in Canadian history. Now let's go back to the beginning of it all uh, with these strong independent females that really paved the way for every black woman in Canada to be able to just be triumphant at anything that they do and become the first. We have opportunities because of what these women have done in our history. We begin by talking about Mary Ann Shaddy Carey, who is a Canadian of African descent. She was born in Delaware, moved to Windsor, Ontario, seeking refuge during the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. Her first accomplishment being in Windsor was opening a school for black children. She also taught children at that school as well. She then went on to becoming the first black woman to open a newspaper. So she was also a journalist. The newspaper slogan is self-reliance is the road to independence. Very powerful. She is an activist and provided intelligence to causes such as the abolition of slavery education and women's suffrage movement. She eventually returned to the United States to become a recruitment agent for the Union Army during the Civil War. After she enrolled in Harvard University and became the first black woman to obtain her law degree, she became a civil rights lawyer and one of the first black women to vote in a national election. Her history is powerful because she accomplished so much in the short time that she had on this earth and everyone should be motivated to keep pushing towards their dreams and working very hard to make a difference in the lives of their family and their hopefully future children. The next female to make history is Honorable Jean Augustine. She is a politician leader, social activist and educator Born in St. George, Grenada, she came to Canada in 1960. She pursued her career as a teacher and became a social advocate for women's and minority rights. She then entered politics in 1993 and made history when she became the first black Canadian woman to be elected to the House of Commons. This great woman proposed the motion to recognize February as Black History Month in Canada, which passed unanimously. Jean has continued to open doors for Black Canadians and other visible minorities by serving as a Minister of State for Multiculturalism and the status of women. She was also a member of the Queen's Privy Council of Canada and a member of the Citizenship and Immigration Committee. You could see that her passion was to create a safe place and a safe space for minorities uh, and black women to thrive by the way she strategically connected herself 
and built herself up in certain societies and in certain places and placed herself so that she can create policies and procedures that would open doors for many young women moving forward. Our next history maker is Violet King. Her dream was to become a criminal lawyer. She had never met another female lawyer and definitely not a black female lawyer. She attended high school in Alberta. She enrolled in the University of Alberta's law program in 1948. In 1953, she was the first black person in Alberta to graduate law school and be admitted to the bar. She made history as the first Canadian black female lawyer. After passing the bar, she practiced law in Calgary and became an advocate for racial equality and the underprivileged. She also fought for immigration and women's workplace rights. She also went to Ottawa to work for citizenship and immigration, moved to the States where she worked for YMCA. She later became the first woman to be appointed to a senior executive position. I appreciated that she provided representation for black girls growing up who can then see themselves becoming a lawyer one day. And she made Canadian history by being the first we appreciate her. Now let's talk about Viola Desmond. She was a businesswoman who managed a beauty salon and a beauty college in Halifax, Nova Scotia. In 1946, she went to the Roseland Movie Theater while her car was being repaired. She refused to sit on the balcony where blacks are designated to sit. She chose to sit on the ground floor, which was reserved for whites only. She refused to leave the section, so she was dragged out of the theater and was arrested. She even offered to pay the higher price. She was still found guilty of tax evasion due to the penny difference in tax on the floor tickets. She was sentenced to 30 days in jail and fined $25 for her refusal to abide by the segregated practices of her time. She appealed the case, which immediately became an icon in the civil rights movement in Nova Scotia. She eventually moved to New York, where she died at the age of 50. But in 2010, the province of Nova Scotia issued an apology, and she was pardoned which was received by her 83-year-old sister, Wanda Desmond, four years ago in 2016. Viola became the first woman, first black woman, to be featured on a Canadian banknote. I must say, upon reading her story and her fight um, for equality, I was shocked at the fact that you know, they segregated the black people to the balcony. In our time, having a balcony seat in a movie theater is, it's, it's worth a lot. People spend money out of their pockets to get a balcony seat because the view is so great. And so I just thought that was really weird to read um, because I would spend money to go to a balcony seat so I can see the theater show very well. 
nobody wants to sit in the front seat because one you're too close and you won't be able to to experience all of it in its entirety because you're so close so i would use you know sit at the middle or the balcony and to hear that you know they just use the balcony to segregate black people where they could have actually charged a bit more to have it open to everyone they would have made a lot more money now let's talk about these pennies I mean, tax evasion over pennies difference, that is crazy. So reading this story has been uh, educational. (laughs) I am very glad I was not born in that time. So I dedicated the beginning of this podcast episode to these OGs of history. These black women really paved the way for all of us. And I hope that you guys are inspired by their story and what they had to go through. And let's be real, when you're reading these stories, it really doesn't cover what they truly experienced and how heartbreaking it must have been for them to go through these experiences. We really don't know. These stories, you know, they make it sound like, you know, it was super easy. It really wasn't super easy. It was very difficult for them. But I do want to give credit to where I read these stories. For me personally, it was YWCA of Edmonton website. So you can definitely check that out and read up on these these ladies yourself and enjoy. Now we'll continue the podcast by talking about some other first Canadian black women that paved the way for all of us. Next, we have May Ruth Sarsfield. May Ruth was born in Montreal. She was a diplomat, an author, an activist. She advocated 88 years of her life to telling the story of black Canadians. You can read her autobiography, Uh, novel, No Crystal Stairs, to learn more about her journey on her ambitious obsession. She worked for the Department of External Affairs at the Expo 70 in Ashika, Japan. A Japanese official asked the Canadian delegate to come forward at a ribbon-cutting ceremony. They looked past her as she approached because she could, they could not believe a black woman could be the Canadian representative. Even in face of prejudice, she still smiled and accomplished her duties. She died in 2013. So the story of the Japanese official is based on a story that she wrote in her book. And so I do truly encourage everyone to go out and get the book and read up on this woman's story. You would hear a lot about what she truly experienced, the microaggression, the prejudice that she had to fight through, and the smile that she had to put on her face and not be offended by the judgment or ridicule or looks of other people because she did not belong as a black Canadian woman. Now let's talk about Caitlin Livingstone. She was a leading actress in the 1940s. Um, that became a broadcaster, humanitarian, and community organizer. In the 1950s, Kay worked to ensure black students received scholarships. She moved to Toronto from London, Ontario, Canada to join a social club of black middle-class women drinking tea and throwing garden parties. Now, right there, I'm already impressed because one of my goals is to plan a garden party for women and we would dress up and have our cute little hats and enjoy some tea maybe with a little bit of vodka in it 
and just have a blast. So right there, this woman is already after my own heart. (laughs) She quickly changed the club's name to the Canadian Negro Women's Association. Wow, she's brave. She shifted the focus to educating black youth and fighting for the well-being of visible minorities. She was a wife and mother of five, okay, and formed the Congress of Black Women of Canada before her death in the 70s. Their mantra was, onward and upward, lifting as we climb. That is just beautiful. Her story is an inspiration, um, especially the fact that she was an actress. And to be an actress in that time is very difficult because they really do not open doors for black women during that time. You had to compete with almost every white woman and every white man before you could even be recognized. And I mean, there are some that really penetrated the barriers and became one of history's best actors and best actresses. But for her now, it it was more difficult because, I mean, this is Canada. It's not like it was the States. Um, So again, you know, she decided to go into a profession that really is prejudiced and is racist. And she still fought through that, still pushed forward and still chased her ambitious obsession until the time came when she was finished and she decided to move on to really fighting for black women's rights. So her story is quite inspirational and I really do appreciate that someone took the time to dedicate uh, a black history a black history post um, for Kayleen Livingstone. Now let's move on to Lucy Blackburn. Lucy is known by who her husband was, uh, which is Thornton. Her story has not truly been recognized, but we can also guess why. The Thorntons were, or sorry, the Blackburns were fleeing slavery in Michigan via Kentucky. They were both captured and imprisoned. Lucy was smuggled out of her jail cell by a woman from her church who swapped clothing with Lucy during a routine visit, allowing her to sneak out unnoticed. That is that is some gangsta move. <laughs> like, damn, these people were determined. Love it. Represent black people. Thornton, her husband, also escaped before they were returned to their masters in Kentucky. The Blackburns imprisonment started the Blackburn Riot of 1831. It was the first race riot ever in Detroit over pushback to state laws that allowed runaway slaves to be returned to their masters. Michigan was free state, but Kentucky was not. The riot caused a major migration of blacks to Canada. One thing I have to say about the riots is that it's so similar to what we encountered in 2020 with the Black Lives Matter movement. And to see that we've come this far and accomplished this much, and we are still stuck um, with having to riot just to be heard against discrimination, racism, police brutality, and many, many other 
issues that that we're still struggling with even after all of these people have paved the way for us to be free it's wonderful that you know we are no longer in slavery thank god and it's wonderful that we're able to start our own business have our own jobs own our own house of course with limitations but to read her story of their story and to realize that you know they were the on the front line of of fighting for black rights in that time and to see that we are now here in 2021 and we just had our own riot just maybe what two three months ago and and it just feels like we haven't made any progress which you know is just sad so to continue their story Canada's refusal to allow the Blackburns to be extradited to the United States set the tone for cross-border relations on the issues of refugee slaves for decades to come. They settled in Toronto in 1834. They were hailed as leaders in the campaign to end slavery and provide refuge to Black people fleeing the United States. They started a camp company and managed six houses they owned by 1847, where they provided room and board for former slaves. Their story is is phenomenal. To experience what they have experienced and gone through what they've gone through, and let's be honest, if we truly look at history and how slaves were being treated, they were completely abused. And they were imprisoned. And they were casted and spit on and stones thrown shot at you name it they've been through it all and as a husband and wife they had survived and they came to Canada and they build a life for themselves and really really put you know these issues on the map and truly led a way for black people to be free from slavery because let's be real they never wanted to let us out even after we fought their wars and built their country. So I, you know, it's just a sad story to read. And I am so glad that we're taking this time to really reflect and all the brave people that have fought for everything that we have today. And I just have to say, black people don't take what you have for granted. Yes, it sucks that we're still struggling with somewhat of the same issues, that they had to but not in the same state that they had it in because they their what they went through was way more aggressive it was way more in your face yes thank you to the trump um presidency for bringing forth um things that were suppressed um especially you know in other races and cultures and it really brought it forward and kind of showed that yes we are still struggling with this but just reading her story it it's just so sad and it does hurt my soul and my spirit to know that this was happening to people and to see their strength as they fought through all of that pain and all of that prejudice all of that racism and being told that they're nothing almost every single day and still persevering is is one of the biggest accomplishment that they could have left behind they really, really embody the ambitious obsession with their story.
The next extraordinary woman that we will be discussing is Rosemary Brown. I love that she has my last name. I love it so much. Rosemary ran for the leadership of the federal NDP, which stands for the New Democratic Party, uh, with the slogan, Brown is Beautiful. Yes, it is. Before I continue with her story, I just wanted to say that the first time I've heard about NDP, the New Democratic Party, was when I voted for Jack Layton. And I was devastated um, when he tried to run again and he died of cancer. And I cried because I really felt that it was his year. And to this day, just the thought of Jack Layton just brings tears to my eyes. And he, he was a soul that is lost um, to us. So back to Rosemary Brown. Around the same time, Brown said this, to be black and female in a society which is both racist and sexist is to be in the unique position of having nowhere to go but up. What a powerful statement she made. Rosemary became the first black woman to be elected to a Canadian legislative and the first woman to run for leadership of a federal political party. She spent 14 years as an L or MLA, which means Members of Legislative Assembly, in the NDP in British Columbia, where she worked to remove sexism in school curriculums. Thank you for that, Rosemary Brown. After she retired in 1988, she taught women's studies at Simon Fraser University, where she educated the next generation of black feminists. She died in 2013. Her story, I felt, was just as powerful as any other female that I just mentioned um, in in this podcast episode. And one of the reasons why I particularly connected with her story is the fact that she was the first, the first person to run for a political party in Canada. And that is a big deal. So technically, it's almost like she paved the way for Jean Augustine. And the fact that she focused not just on, you know, women's rights or anything like that, like she wanted to go back to the school curriculum where she could erase sexism so that all females could be raised feeling that they could accomplish anything and not be put in a box where it's you're a female, your only purpose is to be married, to have children, and that is it. Your purpose in life is to raise your children and to build up your husband you are not supposed to accomplish or do more so her story you know I really connected to it because her her purpose her ambitious obsession was to dig deep and start from from you know the first point of education and making sure that you eliminate that sexism and hopefully racism. And I mean, most of the time racism is taught at home. Um, I cannot 
say for a fact that it is taught in school, but it was definitely taught at home. And so there's no way that you can, you know, make families think differently when they're ignorant um, and, you know, they, they speak such, you know, bigotry. So to focus on sexism is a very big deal to me and I am incredibly proud of her. So I really hope that Rosemary Brown had, you know, touched your heart today and allowed you to understand that, you know, in fighting for rights or change, you need to start from the bottom. You don't start from up, you start from the bottom. You start by fostering and creating new ways for people to learn how to love each other, to accept each other, and to see more in each other. So the final person that I wanted to address um, in this podcast is Michelle Michalik. I hope I'm saying her last name correctly. I'm not sure if it's Irish or Scottish, but let's try it again. Michelle McCulloch. Michelle was the first woman in hip-hop. She is Jamaican-born, Toronto-bred MC. At the age of 18 in 1988, she became the first hip-hop recording artist to sign a major deal. Three years prior, she was discovered while performing in Toronto by Boogie Down Production, a pioneer hip-hop group considered, or consisting of rap legends KRS-1. Her sound was more hip-hop with a Jamaican dancehall sound inspired by The Roots. You can hear her influence in uh, Card- Cardinal and Drake's work. In 1991, she released her debut album, Jamaican Funk and uh, Canadian Style. She appeared in Queen Nativa's feminist anthem, Ladies First, heard the song, loved it. She was also noted as sing- saying, no one wants to hear what this rapper girl has to say. They want to know who is the black guy in charge of her and then who is the white guy in charge of him that is very powerful now as much as i wanted to make this podcast episode a bit longer i didn't want it to be um a history education um i didn't want you to be bored by the countless long list of black women in canadian history but i wanted to just kind of touch on individuals that have really paved the way in particular industries Um, From politics to entrepreneur um, to, um, you know, feminist um, to activist, journalist. Um, I wanted to kind of cover that spectrum and then finally ending it with the music industry. So before I continue, I wanted to give credit to the site that I've read most of these things on. Um, It's called refinery29.com. So I would suggest that all of you would take the time to check out this website and see the other females that this artist or this writer has featured on the website as powerful black female Canadians. And so I wanted to also let you know that one of the other reasons why I'm not going to, you know, add more to the list is because every year... February is Black History Month. 
So I'm going to leave some other artists and other works of art because that that is what these black women have done. They have made history and they are a work of art. And you can never erase their names even after they have died. Um, they will always be <clears throat> remembered in history. And so I didn't want, again, to just make this podcast episode too long. I wanted you to kind of focus on these individuals' characters and just remember their story and all their hard work. And keep in mind, Michelle McCulloch, we, we don't have a true background of what she truly went through, especially since she introduced the Jamaican sound, the dancehall sound, to hip-hop and created a, a whole new genre of music where you have artists that you know nowadays are making ridiculous money off of Drake is a very rich man so you know the fact that she paved that way and she did all that work and made it normalized so that these males could come in and dominate that music industry is a very big deal and she should be recognized. She should be praised and she should be remembered for all her hard work and not just in death. Like I, I feel like the worst part about some of these stories is that when they were alive, you know, people recognize them, but they didn't really give them much attention. But then after their death, all of a sudden, it was like this big deal. And I wish we could just change that. Take the moment while these people are here to recognize them and to pour into them and to say, hey, we value you. And we're not going to wait until you're dead um, before we recognize your work and what you are doing and your influence in your specific industry. Each and every one of these people have an ambitious obsession. And it would suck as individuals who have an ambitious obsession to know that they will be recognized after they're dead. That's not fair and that's not right. The dead, the dead doesn't value take value in what is happening in the living after they're gone. And a lot of people just need to understand that. It doesn't affect them when they're dead they can't bring your praise and your worships and your rewards and you know the money that is raised after their death with them in the grave it doesn't work that way so while they're here just take that time to just appreciate them if you see that person that is um a rising star and is doing great things take that moment to appreciate them as we continue with the podcast and we're coming to a close, I just wanted to give a shout out to a specific artist that I feel is going to make um, Canadian black history sometime in the future. Her name is Pat McCarthy. She has a um, makeup company and I feel that she's really making big moves. So I'm going to put it in a universe that one day I will have the opportunity to interview Pat McCarthy and have her explain her journey, her story, you know, what brought on her ambitious obsession and all of the great things that she has done since she started her career. So I'm putting that out in the universe and I hope and pray that I get this opportunity to interview her specifically for the podcast rather than just talking about her on the podcast. So on that note, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I hope you uh, enjoyed the show. Don't forget to click the follow button under TAO Intentions Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Thank you so much for your time and I wish you a good day. All right. 
Don't forget to follow TAO's social media page on Facebook at The Ambitious Obsession, Insta and Twitter at The Ambitious Hobbs. I hope you have a wonderful day.